Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. Therapy notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals just keeps getting better and better. With legendary customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're giving you all the tools you need to succeed, whether you're a solo clinician or a group practice. Try them free for two months using promo code MODERN today. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back, Modern Therapists. This is the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy, and this is the podcast for therapists and about the things that we do in our professions, the things that happen with our clients, and the ways that we look at things and trying to dissect all of the messages that we get from each other and about our field and about the things that we're supposed to do and how therapy is the magical, wonderful place where everybody gets better all of the time. And if they don't, (laughs) it's because you are a terrible therapist. Yes. Or creating some nuance to that conversation is the topic of today's podcast episode. And this is conversations that have been around for a while, but a renewed interest in this for us comes from a question that we had received at the end of a presentation that we had done at a conference recently, where we had talked about doing client outcomes and measurements. And somebody asked, you know, what about those clients who just don't get better? And we are putting in place all of the good practical steps of reviewing what we're doing, coming back to client treatment goals and this kind of stuff. And there's just clients who aren't making improvements. How do we do that? Well, taking care of ourselves, because these clients can also be a very big emotional drain on us as therapists. So what do we do with clients who just don't get better, even though everybody seems to be doing what they're supposed to be doing? I think the first thing that comes to mind for me is what is quote unquote getting better? Because I think oftentimes how we define success, the goals that we set, sometimes that's based on what clinicians want, what family members want, dare I say what capitalism wants. (laughs) I think that there is an element to this that some of the goals being set maybe have neurotypical norms, maybe they have norms based on kind of what mental well-being has been described as, you know, whether it's in a Western culture or, or those types of things. And so sometimes it's just reassessing the goal, right? Sometimes it's saying, what is it that the client wants or, and the client could be an individual or the client could be the, the individual and the folks around them, but are we defining the goals wrong? I think is a first place to start because oftentimes we have these expectations that whether it's insurance companies or, you know, like I said, capitalism, where each person has to be a productive member of society and work and feed into the machine, which I don't think is actually true. 
when we were recording our prep for this episode, and you can see that if you're one of our Patreon members, but I was like, you know, this is just sounds like a lot of capitalism. Like, you know, this is <laughs> just like everybody. And it's, you know, who sets the goals? The people who are paying for it, the third party, you know, managed care companies and this kind of stuff that, sure. yeah, they need to meet these thresholds. If they don't do it, it's you as the therapist that suck. So a little <laughs> shout out for the, the capitalistic ways of supporting us through Patreon. But <laughs> I have long taken the approach that good therapeutic alliance boils down to you and the client agree on what the goals are and sure. you agree on how you're going to get there and you agree on how you're going to evaluate it. Um, in the vacuum where money is not a thing, this looks like, hey, client, what are we what are we here to actually achieve? Here's how we can do that. Or here's the steps in between where you're at now and where you're at there. You know, this could be miracle question kinds of things. It could be the DBT life worth living kinds of things. It's already baked into a lot of theories already. And as long as we're both like coming back to that conversation, hey, how are we doing towards getting to that goal? It gives us the ability to reevaluate and look at the work that we're doing with clients. Now, I think that in a lot of settings where people are not practicing completely independently, they aren't allowed fully to be able to be like, client, you get to fully invest in being the one who determines how good your outcome is. We've got a bunch of assessments that may or may not deal with your problem. <laughs> PHQ-9. So we're, we're just going to track your PHQ-9. And as long as we lower those scores, yeah, like, the, the yeah, this is, and... <laughs> I mean, th those all have good utility sorts of things, but we need to change the numbers on those things in order to justify why you continue to come and see me. I think that's an oversimplification, but it also is, you know, accurate in a lot of senses too. <laughs> I think for me, the the folks where it's really redefining the goals and and not just saying, is your PHQ-9 getting better? I think it's also there are folks where they're not getting better, but the goal is to not get worse. Yes. And, and to me, those are the clients where they need this ongoing support and if it's, hey, they were in the hospital four times last year and this year they're in the hospital zero times, but they still feel as distressed, <laughs> that is improvement, right? That's mm -hmm. still, you know, decreasing risk, improving the ability to stay in this community, lower level of care, whatever. But what about when it's prevention, where someone is coming to you and you're able to keep them out of the hospital from the beginning, but there's constant safety planning and there's constant work to keep them, quote unquote, stabilized. What you're talking about is the dynamic piece of care. And where we first learned about it, I first really learned about evaluating things in this way, in some kind of formal way, is when we were doing our lobbying work for MFTs to be part of Medicare. Yeah. And through that process, we were asked about the the scoring of the bills, you know, and this is how much does this cost? And there's mm -hmm. static scoring and there's dynamic scoring. And static scoring is just like, here's how much it costs to implement, period. 
yeah. dynamic scoring is here's how much it costs, but here's how much it saves in these other places. And yeah. that's really what you're talking about is it's taking this more dynamic approach of being able to say, hey, I'm at risk of just saying Katie's things, but in my words here, so <laughs> giving her proper credits from you know a minute and a half ago, this is saving money elsewhere. And it's being able to track that kind of stuff that really helps you to put into perspective, here's how effective things are. Another way that I've heard about this is from friend of the show, Ben Caldwell, who borrowing from some of the lectures that he's done in tracking client outcomes, whether you're an individual and talking with your client specifically, or whether you work in an agency, is being able to track just what Katie's saying as, here's where you were before, here's how things fit. But he has relayed that somebody in the audience of one of his presentations did data tracking for their agency over the course of a year and found that almost none of their clients were getting any better. Mm. And they had to go in and look at some additional data and some additional tracking. And what it showed is that a lot of their clients, when they got to this agency in the first place, were on such a big downward trajectory coming in that this clinic's job was about stabilizing clients and that's what actually ended up helping keep this clinic's funding going is here's where clients are coming in. We're not getting like people's, you know, GAD sevens, you know, down to like ideal <laughs> scores, but they're not getting worse. And yeah. so this is really where things stand out is it's knowing what to look for. You know, some, some clients, as much as, all of the published research says these things make people better. There are still a number of people because of systemic issues in our world that are just going to be stuck at certain places for periods of time. Well, I think there's also, you know, and we can we can have an argument about, quote unquote, it's not a chemical imbalance. I'll link to that episode in the show notes. But there's also you know, mental health concerns or, or mental disorders, serious mental illness that seems to be pervasive and potentially treatment resistant, like bipolar or psychotic symptoms or those types of things. Yes, there are things that are situational that can impact those things, but there are folks that have brains that work differently or, or systems that work differently where this is a constant struggle. It's not, hey, I'm going to get better. I might get stabilized. But once stabilized, I may be hanging on by a thread. And I think the thing that, that helps me to think about it is when we are working with these folks and keeping them out of the hospital, for example, or, or from having these big downswings, you know, we're, we're, we're smoothing out their ups and downs, those types of things. There's an article, and I'll link to this in the show notes, about quality of life measurement where if we actually dig deeper, folks that are at that space where, you know, serious mental illness, it's about a decrease in mental ill-being versus an increase in mental well-being. That looks like I've calmed my life down and I'm, I'm avoiding relapse. And avoiding relapse may be not trying to get that more meaningful job because it could risk relapse or it's not getting 
and, and testing out some of these new relationships because that could lead to a relapse. And so sometimes therapists can try to support folks in making those leaps. And, and then you get some of that, that goal attainment that, that everybody is <laughs> hoping that you will. But sometimes it becomes this thing of, okay, let's see what your capacities actually are and how ready you are for that. And is it worth it? Because mm -hmm. if you're constantly kind of like, I, I achieve the goal, I relapse, I lose the goal. You know, like if you're constantly going up and down, is that better than staying stable at the space where you've kind of landed? And, and I don't know. And that's going to be different for each person. And this goes back to what you were saying earlier about like, this is where we work on goals together. And sometimes that's also really helping the client to get to self-awareness about capacities and what they're wanting to risk or, or try for versus allowing them to, to run free with whatever indoctrination they have around what their goal should be around independence or productivity or those types of things. It's like, let's have a collaborative conversation about all that's possible and reframing some of what they're talking about into things that might fit more for, for who they are and how they're showing up, obviously respecting them and understanding them as well as you can. But, but you can often get stuck in this place with you've got a client who you've seen for years who maybe is marginally better than when they first came in, but they're mostly stable and you're stuck thinking, am I helping them or not? And again, the best way to measure that is go back and ask them. Sure. Like, are you getting benefit out of this? And they're like, th yes, I'm not dead. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and for some people that is going to be a win. And I think that this is part of, balancing expectations and hope and the yeah. reality of the environment that you work in. We've talked a number of times throughout the show's history about like, you're not going to get everything that you are told about the field out of any one particular job. The type of treatment that you might want to implement might not be practiced by the agency that you're in. The abilities to do all of the things, you know, charge your worth and provide service to everybody and all these kinds of things. It takes a real honest look at what your work environment is, what you're actually capable of doing, because sometimes the clients in these situations are like, all right, the way that we work, the skills that I have, the agency that we're in, the number of sessions that we're allowed, the environmental factors going on in your life. We might only get to 80% of this, but let's get 100% of 80%. Yeah. Thryzer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thryzer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate up front. From the client's perspective, Thryzer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thryzer manages the claims end-to-end -end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thryzer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thryzer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. 
Visit join.thrizer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. I do want to address one of the things that you said, because I, I hear a lot of folks saying, well, insurance is not going to pay for it. And this could be situational for me versus across the board. But having worked in a Medicaid-funded place and then also having folks in long-term treatment in a, in a hybrid ins- you know, insurance private pay p- practice, I found that as long as you can show ongoing medical necessity, and part of that is the ability to show it's not getting worse or the work that you've done, similar to what that, that agency was able to show that, that you know, if we look at where they were heading when they came to me, versus where they are now and really be able to document medical necessity appropriately and have a sufficient diagnosis that suggests they will need ongoing care, then insurance pays for it. They would Mm -hmm. much rather have them in weekly, biweekly, once a month therapy with you than in the hospital or, or some other liability. I think there's that element of being able to document appropriately. If, if there is a review, I've had one review <laughs> in private practice saying like, hey, this client uh, has an adjustment disorder. Why are they still coming to you two years later? I'm like, it's an ongoing adjustment. And this is how I describe it. And this is what's going on. And, and the person on the phone was like, oh, so there's getting better, but there's still a little bit more work to do. And I said, absolutely. And they approved ongoing treatment. And that was the only time that's ever happened. And I think it's because I had an adjustment disorder and somebody was going into year two with an adjustment disorder. But I think there's that element of, especially in some of these places where there is higher acuity, higher level diagnoses like schizoaffective disorder, bipolar, that kind of stuff, you don't necessarily have limited sessions. And, and, and that's, not true with everything because you know money runs out blah 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 but i think when you when you know that you have at least a chance of being able to do this longer term work even on insurance i think just be really very clear with your documentation don't be hesitant with diagnosis because if somebody's going to need this ongoing care they're going to also need a record of that diagnosis because that can help with other other benefits like social security, disability, things like that, the longer they've had a diagnosis, the more support they can get in the long run once they finally get onto disability. But there's that element of do the work to show that this is a client that needs support and don't beat yourself up. I mean, I think that's the piece that that I think a lot of folks have trouble with is that there's that element of is this client dependent on me? Is this, is this not helpful? And and it can just be a slog. I mean, the amount of work that can go into someone that chronically has risk to assess, chronically has really intense mental health concerns to navigate through can take a toll on clinicians. And so I don't know, do we have anything else that we need to say about like how to kind of get treatment together? Because I think we can switch to like, how as clinicians can we take care of ourselves so we can do this work? Because I think this is important work it just doesn't have the big wins that can feel really rewarding and meaningful that that other clients may bring to you when they come into your practice. So wh- how do you manage the kind of clinician factors when you're working with folks that are less likely to make kind of these Im- big improvements? Part of it's really looking at 
what the client's capacity for growth is. It's really being honest with myself as far as what the expectations are going to be. Mm-hmm. And I've talked about this with my supervisees for years is there's an inherent understanding of, you know, I tend to supervise a lot of cases with kids, like, yeah. you know, and people push back, like, what do you mean expectations? Like anybody's capable of achieving anything. And I'm like, all right, is this kid that you're working with, are they likely to become president? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, because of X, Y, and Z. Okay. Then what are they capable of? Yeah. And, you know, if we're talking a margin of error of taking it from being 70% off down to 5 or 10% off, I'm okay with being able to get into like, all right, we're 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 getting close enough on things and being able mm-hmm. to, you know, collaboratively work with clients on like, all right, let's see, are your expectations to get to what you're fully capable of? Yeah, you know, the aspects of going into things with a realistic idea of here's what we can accomplish here is mm. a- admitting to yourself here's the skills that i really have as far as a person in this kind of work of being able to help things out it's bringing some of the humanity aspects in that makes the therapy work it's a lot about building relationships and it's being able to utilize that in some of the conversations with the clients that we're having. And sometimes there's the frustrations that I continue to this day to hear from clients of like, I'm really frustrated. I'm not making more progress. I thought therapy Mm -hmm. was going to help more. Great. Let's talk about our expectations and what we're actually capable of doing in this work together. Because sometimes the answers are going to come from places outside of me. You might need help that I just can't provide. And so there's really that true like acknowledgement of what are we actually capable of doing here? We we just don't throw more therapy at something if therapy is not helping or not helping that improvement aspect. But that doesn't mean that it's harming it either, that there could be all of that stuff that we talked about in the first part of the episode here. That assessment is really important. And whether it's, am I not the right person for this client? And we have, you know, episodes on firing your clients and and referring out and blah, blah, blah. So we can link to those in the show notes. I think there's also, is there an adjunct treatment that could be supportive or supportive services that could help? I think being able to get to a place that the client feels comfortable with how they're living their life. I, I, I hate to even say progress, but like, that they have a a good enough quality of life that they feel like what they're doing is helpful. And to me, I really think about the clients where they've got crippling anxiety and, you know, there's other things involved. And so some of the, the, the treatment strategies that we use don't work. And mm-hmm. so they, they end up basically, you know, kind of interacting in a different way, creating a life that's a little bit different than someone who isn't anxious about some of the the things that are are out in the world. And so I think there's there's this element of how do we stay present with them and how do we reframe and and identify those incremental gains whether it's creating an environment that's more suitable to how I interact with the world whether it's identifying more about who I am and accepting that so that I can then get the the resources that I need or I can understand myself differently enough so that maybe I start making progress 
because I've accommodated my own unique needs. I, I think about kind of neurodivergent folks, especially with more and more, especially female identified folks getting diagnosed. It's like, I thought I was horribly anxious. And now if I just <laughs> make accommodations and, and actually flow with things, I'm much better off than trying to work against my neurodivergence. And so there's that, that element of kind of deepening the relationship and finding those incremental shifts or, or accomplishments and pointing out, and you're still doing better than before I saw you. <laughs> you know, it's it's looking at how can you frame some of that to build hope, but also how can you foster acceptance with the client so they're not continually coming into this with, I'm just not getting better. It's like, well, what does better mean? I mean, are you still aligned with these other goals that are are more based on what society thinks everybody should be doing versus what might be healthiest for you or for most people, honestly. I think a hugely productivity achievement focused society is not great for most fo folks. <laughs> I think there's a balance that we have not struck, at least in the United States. Mm -hmm. So I think there's that, that element of getting to a small enough space with the goals, with the accomplishments to be able to celebrate some of those little bit, little wins, even if it's, and you've not been cutting for six months, you know, or whatever it is, you know, maybe you don't feel better about yourself. Maybe you haven't got the new job or found the new relationship or done the big thing that, that you've been looking for, but you stopped cutting, you know, whatever it is. Right. right. And so I think there's that, that element of, of being able to frame it properly, but that can be tiresome work too. I mean, I think about as a clinician, there's times that I'm thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm having a hard time sitting with you in this space because I feel that frustration too for you, for myself. I, I'm questioning myself. And I think for me, when I get to that place, I dig more deeply into the relationship and connection. And, and I, that's why I say I'm mostly an attachment-based therapist because oftentimes when someone comes into my office, that's, you know, I, we always say, oh, it's the relationship that matters, whatever. But like for me, when I'm in this client's corner, when I'm part of their life, when I'm personally connected with them and I'm able to use the relationship to continue to foster positive quality of life, practicing relationship skills, whatever it is, then I feel like it's more meaningful and valuable to me as well. It feels more doable. This is somebody that I care about and we're in this together versus this is a problem I have to solve and there's not a solution. Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. You know, it's funny when I end up having families come into me and their expectations are, you know, we are stating that our goal is we want to communicate better, reduce conflict sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they'll be fighting in sessions about things and they'll reach agreements on things. And then they'll just keep arguing because their child still has emotions. Like they've reached an agreement. Like, <laughs> 
you know, it, and it what it sounds like is it's just kind of like that, you know, here's our expectation of you. And the kid has a d- disagreement about the way of achieving it. And so the kid's, you know, trying to assert some independence, like, I want to do it my way. And the parents are like, fine, you know, but if you don't get it done, then there's going to be consequences. And the kid's like, fine, I'm going to show you, I'm going to do it my way. And I'm going to do it this way. And I'm like, all right, this is the point where you have an agreement. Like parents are going to put a consequence in if the the expectation isn't met. Kid has a way of outlining it, but they're still fighting because the kid is having emotions. Mm-hmm. And, and I point out, I'm like, you guys actually have communicated effectively here. Yeah. Like it's, it's that I'm thinking of the number of times that I have sessions like these that it comes in with like, is the recognition of all right sometimes our our goals aren't that everybody is just going to get along peacefully forever like it's you know the goal isn't we want zero conflict it's when conflict happens and so it's really being able to redefine what success actually looks like and it's being able to set those expectations of like yeah you know you might not be like drugged out and self-harming all the time. And you found out that there's still a lot of parts of life that just kind of suck. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking about that. Cause like for me, some of my clients, it's more about increasing the window of tolerance. It's about, it's about the other steps because they're like, well, I still am upset. And it's like, well, you're going to be upset at times or like the situation still sucks or like you said, life still sucks sometimes. Like it's it's something where you're doing better, but you may actually be experiencing more emotions. So you're mm-hmm. feeling worse. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so now we have a new thing to work on. And they're like, ah, <laughs> I don't want to feel my emotions. Emotions are bad. And I think especially in in you know, societies that 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 I am most familiar with, emotions are seen as bad, which is awful because then people can't kids can't disagree. They can't have emotions. They can't be like, ah, shucks, you know, this is so bad, you know, because everybody's supposed to be peaceful and calm and confrontation shouldn't have to happen. Or I don't have to be able to, to like be sad for a day because something sad happened or I remembered something sad. Having emotions, I think are, are things that people will like the definition of happiness or success sometimes doesn't include having any adversity at all. And that's just not reasonable. So that's another, I think, space to go into is, is increasing the window of tolerance, increasing capacity to cope, those types of things. And I think that can be very hard for folks. They just, they just want to be. The magical therapy I, to make I you all want better. Therapy to be magical. I want not only the problem solved, but I want all problems solved everywhere, all of the time. Yes. Yes. Society needs to be fixed. I need to stop being marginalized. Work has to recognize that I'm amazing and all anxiety should cease to exist. And then I will have succeeded in therapy. Some of the other things that help as far as the clinician end of things is not basing your value as a therapist as far as what's client outcomes are yeah and this maybe is just a different way of packaging having real expectations or realistic expectations for your clients but you know one of the things that a lot of places 
track as far as who's actually effective therapists is like how many clients graduate from therapy with you? How many, you know, how good are you at getting clients in? They feel that their treatment goals are done and, you know, oh, your caseload, you are just still carrying the same clients that you were three, six, nine months ago. That or three, six, nine years ago for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, this gets into that, like, who's defining success sorts of yeah. aspects that some clients want that. Yes. The, the best way to find out who those clients are is to ask them. Yes. And, you know, it's sometimes I end up with families that come in, they're like, hey, we expect that our kid's going to be working with you for the next 10 to 12 years until they graduate high school and probably even longer than that because... <laughs> <laughs> and, and part of it's just, you know, some of the specialized work that I end up doing that you know, deals with autistic clients and that kind of stuff that I'm like, oh, that doesn't mean we have to see each other weekly for 10 to 12 years. But yeah. Yeah. but it's also kind of the constant, like, well, let's redefine what successful goals are now. And, you know, success in that situation is like, like I had a session recently where the family came in and the kid's like, and I used the tool that you taught me last week and I was teaching it to the other people in the treatment team. And like, I had less problems because we were using the tool. And I was like, this is success. Yeah, You're, you're still going to run into a whole set of new problems as all of your peers around you reach the next developmental stage and you're going to have a new set of things to be able to navigate here. Yeah. So, you know, some of this is also looking very incrementally at what's going on too. Sure. Yeah. I think, I think that that is very helpful. I think the other element of this is destigmatizing using therapy as a coping strategy. I do. I've been in therapy for, I don't know how long it's something where, and I'm in weekly therapy and, and, you know, I cancel here and there. So it's not a hundred percent weekly, but there's that element of, for me, it is my weekly check-in with myself where I can, I can have the attachment connection. I can, I can explore things and I can then go out into the world. And I, and I have one extra little bit of, of resilience and resourcefulness that I didn't have before the session. I feel like that's what my clients, a lot of my clients want too. And and they've moved down to once a month or as needed or every other week or whatever, where they get to a place where it's like, this is part of my self-care strategy. And I get that folks are like, well, this is treatment. It should have an end. And I get that. But mm -hmm. I don't know that all therapy needs to look that way. And maybe that makes me, you know, <laughs> <laughs> a good business person and not a good therapist. But like, it's a lot easier to keep a caseload full if you do these this long-term deep work where you get to know someone really, really well. You can, you know, I've got clients that I've seen since they were teenagers and and be able to remember back to how they interacted, you know, 10 years ago and be able to to reflect back to them, you know, their developmental progress or yep. or folks who have come a really long way and this is obviously folks who are making progress but some have come a really long way and so doing long term work i think can be very very powerful for folks especially for folks who don't have as many healthy relationships out in the world and struggle to make those relationships and so that you can be that that you can be there for them 
And so, so maybe that's not what some folks call therapy, but for me, that work allows for deeply knowing your client and helping them to navigate the world and not get worse and hopefully get a little bit better too. We would love to hear from all of you about how you're not helping your clients get better, but are still successful with them. And <laughs> you can do that either through our social media or in our Facebook group, the Modern Therapist Group. We'll include some stuff in our show notes over at mtsgpodcast.com. And until next time, I'm Kurt Woodhelm with Katie Vernoy. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thrizer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thanks so much to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code modern gets you two free months. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes.